Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today's episode 177 of the jimmystable.com podcast entitled, The Church is a Whore, But She is My Mother. That's a pretty startling quote if I've ever heard one. The church is a whore, but she is my mother. And it's been attributed to various individuals throughout the history of the church. I've always personally known it uh, to come from the lips of Martin Luther, who was the great Protestant ref- reformer. Uh, but there is also St. Augustine that the, the quote's been attributed to, and yet others. But whoever said this particular quote, it's not a particular interest to me. Uh, you know, maybe some of our more scholarly, historical church friends uh, can track it down and, and debate amongst themselves who exactly is the uh, person who quoted this particular thing. But... The sentiment and the heart of what this particular quote is, the church is a whore, but she is my mother, you know, that's a particular interest to, to me in today's podcast. Um, and, and there are those who would, you know, object uh, to this particular saying and do so on theological grounds. I've, I've heard preachers talk about how, you know, as powerful as this quote can be, that they just can't find it in their heart. Uh, to endorse it from a, a theological standpoint, because they said they've often said um, to to say something like this is to speak badly about the bride of Christ in such terms, and you know at the end of the day, the church consists of the redeemed of Christ, the individuals that He has bought with His own blood, whose sins who have been washed away, whose spots who have been made as white as snow. Um, and as a result of these things that Jesus has done on behalf of the church, um, you know, people just say you, you, as, as much as that might ring true, you just, you just can't say that because that's just bad theology. Um, and you know, I, I take that exhortation to heart. I take that objection to heart because I think it's one to some degree that you have to seriously contend with on theological grounds and, and the pictures that uh, the scriptures paint of how Jesus sees the church. But I, and I think this is something that we ultimately need to keep in the back of our minds, and it's not just an idea that we can just dismiss. It is a great theological truth at the end of the day. But even with that said, as much as this might be a great theological truth, the rest of us who've, you know, lived in the world a little bit, who've lived in the church for a long period of time and have done some observation with our own eyes, we just have been around long enough to say, you know, as true as that theology might be, I've been around the block. And I've seen a thing or two, and I'm not just going to easily dismiss what my own two eyes have seen. Um, and we've seen it not only possibly of, of, as a uh, third-party observer who has seen 
the church perpetuates some terrible misdeeds and harm against others. But there's a good chance that maybe perhaps if you're listening to this podcast that, like me, you know, you've been a victim of the same. An experience can be a great challenge to our theology, uh, especially when those experiences involve deep hurt and pain. You know, I think just a simple stroll through the book of Job will teach anybody that end, that, you know, sometimes our theology and experiences don't often line up, um, and that leaves us a little bit in the perplexed state, and I think gives us a vantage point that makes us say, hold on, uh, let's, let's put the rosy ideals that you espouse and the theology you put, you know, hold up and esteem so highly, let's put that on hold for a second, because we need to have some hard conversations. <laughs> and the book of Job is all about those hard conversations. Um, I know, speaking from my personal experience in the church, of the Pentecostal and Evangelical wings, of which I've associated for the past 20-some-odd years, um, my experience has ultimately been one that has been very mixed. I've seen and experienced some tremendously amazing and good things over the years, but I'm not going to lie. I've also seen some terrible things, and I've probably even at times been, I would admit, a perpetuator of those terrible things. And I think if you were to step back and examine your own life and your own walk and your own experience in the church, if you were to have an honest conversation with yourself, you could sit there and say, yeah, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and I've been a participant in it all. Um, so that's, that's my confession, at least. Hopefully... It's one you can identify with as well. Um, some of the terrible behaviors I've seen in the church over the years. Um, I've seen sexual abuse. I've seen people clamoring for power and prestige. I've seen dirty political entanglements, not only within denominations, but with political parties of the national sort. I've seen people deep down the conspiracy theorist rabbit hole. I've seen nepotism and all boys clubs mentalities in which, you know, people agree to appoint their favorite friends and family members into high positions and to not allow anybody outside that little club inside the inner circle. I've seen money hungry preachers. I've seen narcissists. I've seen corrupt leaders. I've seen church splits. I've seen manipulation and control. I've seen fear-mongering. I've seen all sorts of scandals, hypocrisy, racism, and other types of phobias. I've seen absurd legalisms, holier-than-thou mentalities. But I've also seen people who are more than happy to engage in the most lascivious behavior possible and to defend it in the name of Jesus. And I've seen no shortage of Sunday morning Christians, the people who show up for Jesus on Sunday, but then Monday through Saturday live like the devil. But you know, for all those terrible behaviors that I've seen, and don't get me wrong, they are frighteningly real. I've also seen some great behaviors. I've seen some amazing behaviors. I have seen things in the church that have caused me to weep because they were so powerful and good 
and beautiful and wonderful and things to celebrate. I've seen outstanding acts of love and kindness. I've seen amazing acts of courage. I've seen people with the, the true heart of a servant who are there to humbly serve Jesus, to humbly serve the church, and not to seek any sort of recognition or fame along the way. They just want to, to show up, to do a good job, to be helpful, to be useful, and to help better somebody's life. I've seen deeply sacrificial people who will stop everything they are doing in order to help you. And I've seen people who wonderfully and beautifully fall in the ways of Jesus and genuinely love him and love others. I've seen people who were so otherworldly in their mindset that the world was simply not worthy of, of such individuals. I've seen people who have lived amazing lives of beauty and grace with dignity, leading and kindness, who just, you know, just, just oozed with the grace of God all over their lives. I've seen people who are amazing storytellers and communicators who passionately and truthfully convey Jesus and do so in a wonderful, grace-filled, truthful, and loving way. I've seen people who love on the poor and the marginalized, the, the forsaken, the forgotten, the people that nobody else is looking out for. I've seen them look out for those people even though there was no benefit in them doing so. And ultimately, I've just seen some amazing people. I've seen this not only in acts perpetuated against or, or towards others, other not against, uh, but in loving acts of service to others, but I've also been a recipient of the same. The list, it could go on and on for both sides. We, we have no shortage of things that we could call out for terrible behaviors within the church. But you know, there's also no shortage of wonderful behaviors of, of, of great saints and men and women of God who have done tremendous things in the name of Jesus. I've seen both. I've seen both, and I think if you are honest, if you're truly walking around with your eyes open and not in some sort of, you know, scornful sort of dismissive attitude, I think you could admit that you've seen both as well. Yet, I have, in spite of saying that, I feel that most of us have this tendency to focus on the negative. And that's kind of something in our human nature, right? There's, there's something in our human nature, defense mechanism, a survival mechanism, that always wants to call out the negative and see the negative and to warn others of the negative because of the threat the negative thing you know, could possibly mean towards us in our lives. And I've seen this especially in the context of social media. There are a million and one people out there always ready to dump on the church and to tell you what is wrong with her. And you know what? Sometimes, rightfully so. A hundred percent. But, you know, as someone who has experienced my share of grievances with the church firsthand, let me just say, get it. I get it. Especially when churches aren't willing to own up to their own sins and their own shortcomings. And they prefer to quietly sweep things under the rug, even when somebody's shining a bright light on them. To double down on bad behavior and toxic mindsets. To defend the indefensible. 
and to perpetuate the very things that we should ultimately condemn. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. I have the t-shirt. <laughs> so is it no wonder, though, when, when such things exist and such mindsets within Christianity exist and when such behaviors within the church exist, is it no wonder then that in recent decades that there's been a mass exodus from organized religion and Christianity, especially here in the West? Is it no wonder we have so many people going through what has been labeled um, by Brad Jerzyk and others as the Great Deconstruction, where a lot of people who are just saying, you know, this Jesus guy sounds really great, uh, but, you know, his followers? Not so much. I have a real problem with his followers. Some of his followers can just be, well, you know, insert your dirty word here. <laughs> you know, they, they, can, they can really be some terrible people. And they pushed me away from wanting to have anything to do with them. Because, you know, at the end of the day, people hear the theology and they hear the platitudes that we hear espoused from the pulpit and, and a lot of the things that a lot of people like to say in the church. But just like Job listening to his friends, something kind of stinks. It doesn't add up. Two plus two doesn't equal four. And the theology of what they hear preach just doesn't measure up to the experience they've gone through. Who wants, at the end of the day, to identify with a group of people like the church where there's this sort of great hypocritical cognitive dissonance going on? You know, when two plus two doesn't equal four, no wonder we're suspicious. No wonder people want to stay away. No wonder people want to distance themselves from the church and even identifying with it. So much so that some people even wonder if they should call themselves Christians, even though they consider themselves followers of Christ, because the label is just comes with so much baggage. And it gets even worse when your suspicions are confirmed the end of the day, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, when you discover that your mother is a whore, that's some pretty heavy stuff. When you discover that she's a woman who's engaged in certain behaviors that not only do you not approve of, but that comes with a certain sort of reputation around town that others clearly don't approve of either. But at the end of the day, you find yourself in a position where when people talk about her and you hear of the, the rumors and the whisperings, all you can do is acknowledge they're true. And they're very true indeed. Which, of course, breaks your heart. And it causes you to feel disillusioned it makes you have all sorts of deep, conflicting emotions about this person that you ultimately identify and think of as your mother. You know, I saw this ultimately growing up in a household that took in foster kids. We had some foster kids when I was in my late teens and into my early 20s. Um, and I was living at home and going to college and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I got a chance to observe these kids for several years of my life. 
And a kid, the kids, especially the older ones who, you know, were starting to understand some stuff, they really struggled with the fact that their parents were often people of the worst kind. And for those who held on hope uh, to one day being reunited with their parents, whether prior to them turning 18 or one day becoming, of, becoming an adult and being able to be reunited with them then, there was ultimately this, this deep conflict within these kids. And I saw it. Because yet in spite of all that had transpired in their lives and, and all the behavior of the parents and, and all that they knew to be true about their mom and dad, Underneath it all, they often still have this deep, abiding sense of love for their parents, for their mom, for their dad, in spite of the person that their mom and dad, in fact, was. But that ultimately brings me to my point for today's podcast. Let me just simply ask you a question. The church, do you love her? Do you love the church, your mother, even when she's a whore? Yes, sometimes when dysfunction exists of the worst kinds, it might be necessary to draw up some very firm boundaries between people that keeps them at a distance for a while, just like we do in the foster care system. So I get that so many people feel the need to create some distance between themselves and the church. But my question, in, again, is, in spite of the church behaving like a whore, do you still love her? And genuinely so. That's a hard question to answer, and I can't speak for you. But I can speak for me. And all I can say is, I get it. Get it. The church isn't always this wonderful, safe space that's committed, that's, that's made up of a people committed to the thriving of humanity and the helping of people and to help those same people become more and more like Jesus. Sometimes the becoming more and more like Jesus almost seems to have nothing to do whatsoever with a sense of mission and purpose that we have. And sometimes in the process, the church shoots herself in the foot and then wants to shoot you in the foot too. <laughs> it can get ugly, it can get nasty, it can get bloody, it can get messy. But still, in spite of all that, again, I ask the question, is there still something deep within you that says, yeah, She's awful. She's a whore. But I love her anyway. And that's where I've been a long time for myself, personally speaking. It's been a while, but years ago I went through kind of a deep crisis of faith, not only sometimes intellectually, I experienced an intellectual crisis of faith, interestingly enough, while I was in Bible college and seminary. Um... But uh, I also expect, experienced something of a crisis of faith where I got deeply burned by the church. Deeply burned. I had some people that I looked up to and people who I considered 
friends and people who I considered individuals that I had a deep fellowship with and people who, who seemed to have loved me and cared for me and, and to root for me, all of a sudden take a Judas-type position towards me. And to become somebody who went from championing me and amening me to being somebody who would be dead silent around me. Of people who would malign me behind my back. Of, of people who would not allow me to participate in what they were enjoying in the church. And to keep me at a distance because I wasn't of the right stock and kind. Um, I wasn't of the right generation for that church. I my, my uh, dedication and loyalty to the denomination weren't unquestionable. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes the things I spoke out against caused a lot of people who loved the institution more than the people in her to crap down on me. And I experienced a lot of abuse at her hands, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of estrangement. And a lot of terrible stuff. And I saw others suffer the same. Sometimes things worse than me. Yet, in spite of my initial wanting to pull back in a way and to say, come out of her, my people, and be separate and, and all that sort of thing, and just to, to leave it all and walk away from it all, I still found that there was this thing in my heart that kept causing me to long for her anyway. And there was this thing that I discovered that had been placed in my heart, and I believe it was placed there by Christ, to cause me to love the church in spite of all of the ugly. Because ultimately, I felt deep within my heart that Jesus loved her too. And ultimately, I found myself inexplicably being drawn to her yet again, and yet again, and yet again. And I found that there was this longing in me that, of the church that I want her to be the bride that's been prepared for her groom. A bride that is pure, adorned, and beautiful. And I stick around in the church, ultimately tethered to an unshakable dream that I believe that Christ ultimately holds out for her. And as someone that wants to help the Lord make that dream ultimately one day into a reality. Yes, yes, the church is a whore. But she is my mother. And I'm going to love her anyway. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com. Episode 177, The Church is a Whore, But She is My Mother. Hope I've given you something to think about. And I hope you feel the real sense of what I was trying to convey in today's podcast. And if this speaks to you, and you'd love to have a conversation about it sometime with me, if you know me in real life, you know how to reach me. Always up for a cup of coffee or something to eat. But for those of you who maybe aren't connected to me in real life, feel free to email me. Jimmy at jimmystable.com. Or you can reach out to me on Facebook and Twitter, for which there are links to the Facebook and Twitter social media accounts at jimmystable.com, where I have links to them, and you can reach out to me on those places. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you thought, man, 
Jimmy has just given me something wonderful to think about, and I just want to give him a high five of some sort because, gosh, that really, that really tugged on my heartstrings. Well, tug on my heartstrings by going over to places like Apple, Spotify, and Amazon and leaving a glowing five-star review about how wonderful you and you found this podcast to be so that other people can find it too and hopefully delight in it. Um, and, uh, I hope if you haven't had the chance to subscribe yet, you go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and find your favorite way to subscribe to this podcast, whether that's through Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or even good old fashioned email newsletters. Everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.